Wonder Thing Studios proudly presents the Roundtable Podcast, episode 105. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Marie Billado. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned into the Roundtable Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show to pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest hosts. And then we dive into it, exploring what works and what doesn't, trying to transform the raw idea into literary gold. Literary gold. It is our goal, our, our mission in life. We, we, have I used the literary Rumpelstiltskin metaphor so far? Well, you should right now. Just I'm going to, it. yes. Okay. We are the literary Rumpelstiltskins <laughs> of the podcasting set. Uh, Marie Billado, my my co-host. Uh, I, this is such a delight. It was it was wonderful to to reshare the, the the Skype ways with you last week for the twenty minutes with, and uh, I, I continue to to glow and and beam uh, uh, in your virtual presence, ma'am. I'm so delighted that we're back up and running, and that you're back in the co-host chair. Me too. I was very excited for this. I'm very much looking forward to today, and I am, in fact, still beaming from last week. So we've got all that energy just throwing us into this episode. Indeed, indeed. Let's ride. <laughs> Let's ride that like a surfboard into into the awesomeness of this episode. We and do. we do that first by, of course, bringing back our guest host, dear friends. The, you, you were here for the twenty minutes with, and if you weren't, shame on you. Go back. Stop the recording. Go back or stop the recording. Stop the playback. Go back now. <laughs> Listen to it and then come back because it was truly fabulous. Dear friends, coming back to the guest host chair here at the round table, Marie Brennan. Uh, Marie, uh, in spite of the challenges of having two Maries on the show at the same time, I think we did extremely well last week. It was it was an inspired conversation, but I got to tell you, I'm pumped at the prospect of brainstorming with you coming up. Thank you so much for making the time, ma'am. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this a lot. Yes, Yay. us too. Us too. Before we dive into that, though, I, you know, obviously the long stalkerish intro uh, uh, demonstrated the the scope and breadth of the, of your curiosities and passions in this world. Uh, so, Marie Brennan, I can only assume that there is stuff on the horizon. You're not done by any stretch oh, of the no. imagination. So, <laughs> enlighten our listeners, if you would. Uh, what's coming up in the world of Marie Brennan? On September 13th, I have a piece coming out, a novella that's actually very, very tied in with some of the things that we were discussing in the 20 Minutes With uh, segment. It is called Cold Forged Flame. It is coming out from Tor.com. It's a novella. And it is actually derived from a character that I played for many years in a Changeling LARP. Uh, oh, cool. So when we were talking about this whole, like, how do you take something from a game uh, and use it as a story? Well, this is a, a particular iteration of that. Wow. Uh, it comes out on September 13th, as I mentioned, and I really should at some point figure out a good nutshell way to describe it, because, you know, the whole high concept thing, like the elevator pitch where you could describe it in one sentence, that is not this story. <laughs> uh, rather, to the extent that I can give a nutshell description, it sounds terrible, because it's about a really pissed off amnesiac alone on a deserted island for half the story. Um, <laughs> okay, which, yeah, that's, yeah, that's not, a, not a strong elevator pitch sell there, Marie. Yeah, <laughs> need to work yeah I can't believe I actually committed amnesiac protagonist but I did. Um, <laughs> well, it's anyway, the whole memento thing. You love that shit. 
Yeah, yeah. It's, um, <laughs> it's me getting back to uh, secondary world fantasy, which I haven't really been doing for a while because the Onyx Court books were historical fantasy. And then the memoirs, I call them like world and a half because they're not this world's history, but they're very much based on it. So they're, they're kind of sure. not quite secondary world. It's world and a half. Yeah, very um, similar to Guy Gabriel Kay's uh, fiction, I yes. found. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The kind of thing that he does all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so... This is me getting back to secondary world fantasy, and it's a world where there are supernatural creatures called archai that are these like archetypal entities, and human beings can summon them into existence and bind them to service. And so the the protagonist of the story is actually an archon that has just been called into existence and bound to do a particular task that she doesn't understand. And over time, she begins to remember her previous lives, her previous existences, but they've warned her that she'll actually be safer if she doesn't remember. So it's the tension between her trying to carry out what she's being magically compelled to do while not really knowing anything of what's going on around her. But if she tries to improve that, then she might be in more trouble later. The the perfect rock and hard place to put your protagonist. Well done. Well done. (laughs) That's awesome. That is the first in a series of novellas. The second one, Lightning in the Blood, I believe is scheduled for next spring, though I don't know the precise date. I'm intrigued by these titles, Marie. These are fabulous. Cold Forged Flame. That, yeah. you know, nice nice use of contrasts in there oh, and just really just jostling Apropos the brain. Of, uh, what we were talking about last time, it is certain things about this character that revolved around a particular set of symbols, like metaphorical images and so on. That was kind of the core of what I wanted to work with again. So that's why the titles are sounding so cool, because they were kind of what I started with. <laughs> there you go. Start from the foundation, build from there. Excellent. Excellent. What else do you... I'm, I'm, the novellas, that's fabulous. And Tor.com's uh, novellas are, are a delight. Uh, I've been reading Matt Wallace's uh, Sin Du Jour series, and those are also fabulous. Uh, and Mike Underwood's genre series so oh, yes. but I, I know uh, uh there's there's more on your horizon than than just a novella not that a novella isn't a triumph and an achievement uh but what else you got going on well the next thing that comes out after that in april of 2017 will be the last of the memoirs of lady trent which i know oh. makes a lot of readers oh, very sad because yeah. they want more yeah. uh, but it was always planned to be a five book series and it will be the fifth book coming out in 2017 it is called within the sanctuary of wings and uh, it has a gorgeous cover from Todd Lockwood because I've been insanely lucky with this series and it's art. <laughs> breathtaking, breathtaking. Yeah. And, and print worthy. That's always a good thing to have on your covers yes. of your books. That's yes, I've actually got a beautiful framed print of the first book cover on the wall mm. of my living room. Mm. One nice. of the many perks of being the author of the book for whom the cover was written. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. That's fabulous. Yes, that is a sadness and a delight all in once. A bittersweet bit of news. Um, what about cons? Are you are you doing any conventions? Um, I am not doing any in the rest of 2016. I was going to be attending the World Fantasy Convention, but the whole trouble over that and the programming made me decide that I did not want to attend this year. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, actually, no, I take that back. I may be at Convolution in the Bay Area, which is in, I think, October. Okay. Um, I okay. need to double check the dates. Uh, but yeah, that's all I have planned for this year. Um and next year, I actually haven't worked out my con schedule yet. Oh, my. Okay. Well, get on that because yeah. that, that stuff comes up fast. <laughs> yes, I, I may be attending uh, Worldcon in Helsinki, but I need to actually find out. These are the terrible, terrible problems to have. I need to make sure that Worldcon isn't going to conflict with the karate seminar that my dojo will be running in Okinawa. Yes, these are problems unique to Marie Brennan, definitely. <laughs> 
Definitely. Certain problems to have, I will admit. Yes, exactly. Yes. That's, that sounds like an incredible opportunity. I can see why you're writhing on the horns of a dilemma about that. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't know. They may not conflict, but I've got to make sure that I can swing both of them, both in terms of schedule and finances. So. Right. All right. Mm. Well, fingers crossed. I'll, I'll drop that into the liner notes so so friends can be on the lookout for the novella, uh, Cold Forged Flame, and uh, the last, the Sanctuary of Wings, the last of the, the Lady Trent memoirs. Uh, yes. Very cool. Very cool. Marie Bilodeau, uh, fabulosity just seems to drip off you like uh, dripping things off of a person. Um, <laughs> like sweat? Like, like old sweat? I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> the Japanese myths, uh, uh, gods were created in the Japanese myths in the most absurd and in some ways gross ways. Uh, every, every bodily function spawned a new deity and a lot of sweat came off. Uh, so that's where my head was at. I'm sorry. Um, no, I, I feel good about that. I, okay. I can own that. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 fabulosity is dripping off here these days, ma'am? <laughs> so on the day this episode lands, uh, it should be out either that day or coming out very shortly. Uh, the second French translation of my Destiny series. Oh, excellent. Um, I know. It's so awesome. If you haven't seen the cover, go to my website, um, La Chute de Mérial. It's a uh, cover by Grigory Fromatou, who does some work on uh, Assassin's Creed as well. Mm. So, uh, La Chute de Mérial is coming out from Les Editions Allières uh, again. Uh, and if you read science fiction in French, you will find that, I hope, impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's cool. Um, and it will be available in all fine bookshops that carry uh, French science fiction books. And I'm very proud of that. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. It was translated by Elisabeth Van Aberg. And again, if you read French science fiction, uh, I hope that you enjoy her translation because she is spectacular. I'm uh, intrigued, Marie. You had somebody, you speak French for crying out loud. Why did you have somebody translate? <laughs> I'm just out of curiosity, you know. I'm not a trans... Well, no, I do translation. That's a lie. Um, because I didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Excellent answer. I, and I you want to throw some work to a translator. That's that's yeah. noble. That's noble. And Elisabeth Van Aberg is like the grand dame of Quebecois science fiction, right? So, I mean, if you're going to have anyone translating your books, it, it would be her. She's awesome. Um, there you go. And yeah, I, I love the drafting process, the creation process, but translation, especially of your own words in fiction. And I learned fantasy literature. I learned English thanks to fantasy literature. So I don't necessarily <laughs> have the same vocabulary in, in French when it comes to that particular genre as I do in English. So it's all a big old a big old mess when it comes to translation. So there you go. That's why she translated yes. and she did a great job. Well, yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm actually, we're going to have to talk about this offline because this, this process fascinates me. Uh, um, yes. And especially when your family gets to read your books for the first time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and they haven't read a thing. <laughs> That's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for your family to finally see that, yes, you do have those chops. Exactly. They've read the first one and they're looking forward to the second one. And uh, I do have a convention coming up. It is, if this line September 6th, so it is this weekend, September 9th to the 11th. It's in Ottawa, uh, Ontario. So it's called CanCon. Ah, yes. Uh, if you've never been to CanCon, do consider it. Hey, if you're American and you're coming to Canada, our dollars, shit, you're going to save so much money. Um, <laughs> There's a financial incentive to come to this convention. <laughs> exactly. We're at, well, like, I think 70 cents on the American dollar right now. Come on, it's great. Jeez. <laughs> so uh, we have some awesome American guests, amongst others, because, you know, they're 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> Same thing. Got it. <laughs> so we have Sam Morgan from the Jabberwocky Agency who's coming down. Oh, um, wow. We'll have Sheila Williams from Asimov's here. Uh, we'll have Tanya Huff uh, as our author guest of honor. Oh, wow. Yeah, Tanya's awesome. And it's really cool for us because she only lives three hours away from us. So it's <laughs> really nice to have her as the guest of honor. Um, we have Charles Delint coming into. He's Ottawa based. Oh, as- my God. Yeah, oh. yeah, we were in a good, we we're in a good. Uh, Violet Milan is coming in as well. Uh, we were in a really good situation, position here to get some really cool people, and we have also Eric Choi as our science guest of honor because we love science at CanCon. Mm. Um, and if one thing, we were talking about gaming with Marie uh, last week, and um, one of the fun things that we do at CanCon, we're launching this year. It's a CanCon the campaign, <laughs> and. Every- <laughs> to create their own characters and level it up through various challenges and attending of different things and fighting different boss monsters at the convention. And there are even in-app purchases because we are that cool. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're curious at all, please come check out CanCon. If you just want to come to a book launch or to the vendor room, you can come as an NPC. That's no problem. So. <laughs> as an NPC. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Holy, yeah. Now I want to go to CanCon. Holy crap, uh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. It's it's my local con. I'm I'm I help organize it. I the community here is really great and supportive. So it's fun. Come and join us and have some fun. Absolutely. Well, and that kind of explains the awesomeness factor of the con. Marie Billado's involved. Fabulous. <laughs> glitter um, everywhere. Glitter everywhere. <laughs> All right. Yes. I'll put all of that in the liner notes as well. Friends, you're going to have some clicky click to make with because there's some awesomeness in these liner notes. Um, Let me let me just here's what I'd like to do right now. Um, I'd like to actually pause for a moment and give some some podcast airtime to to uh, uh, another ebook, another podcast, some some Kickstarter, some fabulosity happening out there in the world. When we come back. Marie, Marie, that sounded like an echo. (laughs) I would love to brainstorm a story with you guys. What do you say? Yeah. Yeah. I I think, yeah. I think that's pretty much the consensus here. (laughs) Friends, we will be right back. Don't you go anywhere. I'm the first. The first of a new kind of human being. The first and only true artificial intelligence. Not a huge fan of that term, though. I prefer not to use the term stranded time traveler. I am merely on an extended vacation against my will. Talking with normal people is almost impossible. I'm constantly on guard. What did you do over the weekend? I definitely didn't drink any blood. (laughs) I'd never do a thing like that. I mean, brother, when you crash your spaceship on Earth, you are pretty much shit out of luck. We don't need aliens anymore. Not when people have Twitter and YouTube and podcasts and Periscope and Voibox and Winger and heaven knows what else. I don't see the point in anyone living in the coffin. Right? Who benefits from our silence? Certainly not us. Look, I I could take out this interview guy. I I mean, I could, like, wrap this chain around his neck and kill him right now. Do you have any more questions for us? Well, I got a few, so if you want to hold off on wrapping around the, the chain, that would be good. This is Jared Axelrod. Join me on the voice of Free Planet X, where I interview aliens and time travelers, vampires and witches, advanced AIs and ancient monstrosities. It's This American Life for a Science Fictional Universe, and it's only at planetx.libsyn.com. 
Welcome back, dear friends, and now we get down to the meat and potatoes, the business at hand, the reason why you're here, the reason why we're here, the story brainstorm, and that badassery does not happen without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer striding boldly to the writer's chair and slaying forth a a smorgasbord of story for us to brainstorm, and for this episode, dear friends, we have two writer's chairs. Neither of them are particularly comfortable, uh, but we do have two of them. We pulled another one out of storage. Uh, So for your enjoyment, dear friends, two guest writers, her love for storytelling grew as soon as she was born. From out of the womb, bam, loved stories. Disney movies, books, comics, musicals, all the order of the day. Uh, She would soon come up with her own stories, which she would play out on her Lego sets, which immediately endears her to the Roundtable podcast because Lego's awesome. Uh, She would try her hand at any form of media, including doing radio interviews with fictional people. uh, And her teenage years were dominated by theater, message board role-playing, and fan fiction. His love for the art was also nearly instantaneous. Vinyl records and video games were his jam. Uh, At the age of 10, two profound events rocked his world. Uh, He got a keyboard for his birthday, and he cried at the end of a role-playing video game. And we're going to find out what that video game is in just a second. Uh, At the age of 16, he struggled between game design and music as a career and decided on the latter, where he discovered an affinity for writing lyrics, often focusing on character pieces or sci-fi themes. And then they found each other, and it was fiction that brought them together. It's a love story for the ages, friends. Starting off with an inside joke that they called the Imagination Wars. Uh, They told stories of books and TV shows come to life. They were destined for each other. They're currently busy graduating from a course in social and cultural development from the University of Applied Sciences in Rotterdam. Uh, Their free time is a mishmash of fan fiction, knitting, ukuleles, and Netflix. Dear friends, please welcome all the way from the Netherlands to the writer's chairs here at the round table, Saskia Den Alden and Thomas Deman. Uh, I'm sorry, you are Deman, Thomas. <laughs> Saskia <laughs> Thomas, I have to just keep saying that every time I hear your name. Uh, it is never easy, I don't care how many times you've done this, to sit down at the writer's chair and share your baby, uh, uh, even with an august and, and charming group like ourselves. So, so hats off, kudos, and much gratitude for the courage and cojones to, to step up to the writer's chair. Thank you guys so much. We're very excited to be here. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're delighted to have you. And this I think this may be the first time we've had a writing team uh, uh, on the round table. So this is awesome. All right. Dave, we checked. Yeah. Um, you had a writer's team before. Oh, okay. Uh, but they were your co-hosts. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Okay. Yes, you're right. So we're not exactly breaking new ground here, uh, uh, but but still a fabulous moment for the roundtable. So very cool. So Thomas, you got to tell us, man, the the role-playing video game that made you cry. What was it? It's a game called Lufia, or Hmm. it might have been called Espolis in America. (laughs) Okay. It was for the Super Nintendo. And uh, And the ending in question revolved around a couple that would not survive the ending of the game. Uh, 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 uh. (laughs) Sad. Dark stories in our video games, people. Holy crap. Now, how long ago was that? That was at the age of 10. So that must have been like in the the 90s? Early 2000s? Uh, 2000s, 2000s, yeah. Okay. Wow. 
Man, we were getting dark early on there. Okay. <laughs> well, dude, all right. Uh, <laughs> very cool. And and I did. I got to ask Saskia, do any of those radio interviews with fictional people still exist? Uh, I might have them on tape somewhere, but I'm not quite sure. I think my mom has them in her attic somewhere. See, I think that's a podcast right there. I think we could totally rock multiple <laughs> episodes of a podcast of interviews with fictional people. That's awesome. <laughs> I thought so at the time. <laughs> obviously, obviously. And, and and thus began the whole awesomeness that brought you here. And you guys are here to pitch a story. So let's go ahead and do that. Uh, you guys know how this works. We give you five to eight minutes. Uh, give us the title, the genre, your intended audience, the tagline, the themes. If you if you know them, not everybody does. Uh, uh, the world uh, introduces to that, to the characters. Give us the, the tent poles of story. And we will be off to the brainstorming race. Uh, I'm I'm done talking. I'm getting out of the way. Thomas, Saskia, the mic is all yours. Okay. This novel is titled Occupational Hazard, and it's going to be an urban fantasy story. This is the first novel in what we hope to be an ongoing series. The hook line is, a shut-in bartender and a restless bike messenger try to make the best of life in a city filled with crime, corruption, and psychotic ex-girlfriends. The main theme in this story is about how you should shape your own future before someone else does it for you. The world, um, the story is set in Triadal City, capital of the fictional island Triadal, which is situated northwest of Ireland. Within the city at this point in time, Skylight is becoming a very popular recreational drug, which causes some of the inhabitants to manifest magical powers. The two protagonists of this story are Alex Green and Sidney Drake. Alex is a recently graduated millennial who takes a job as a bike messenger so she can delay the time before she has to join the grown-up world. <laughs> she is intelligent, a quick thinker, and she has a magnetic personality. However, she is struggling with her extremely strict upbringing, which causes her to act out. Her greatest fear is to become like her parents, who were very emotionally neckful. Her greatest desire is to become part of a community where she is supported, challenged, and taken seriously. She starts off the story as a very emotionally detached and floundering, but by the end of the story she has learned to open up a little to other people, and she has a newfound drive to show the world who's boss. Sidney is the workaholic <laughs> owner of a bar named Rogues, which he seldom leaves. He is a very disarming conversationalist, extremely persistent, and he cares deeply for his loved ones. On the flip side, he has a tendency to get overly emotional and violent up to the point that he becomes self-destructive. His greatest fear is that his history with the criminal underworld will come back to haunt him, and his greatest desire is to find closure and make amends with people he's wronged in the past. In the beginning of the story, Sidney is mostly in denial and happily sequestered in his bar, where he's maintaining the status quo. By the end, he's finally done hiding and is ready to face his traumas, no matter the consequences. Our antagonist is Nikki, aka the Vulture. She is Sydney's psychotic ex-girlfriend who comes back into town after going to prison four years ago. She's very good at keeping herself hidden and she has magical powers, acquired through extensive drug testing. Her greatest fear is losing her freedom again. Her greatest desire is to live the life she wants without anyone interfering. She starts off the story as a semi-in-control stalker, only to become a deranged mess by the end, out for blood. She also has a brother named Josh, who is a co-worker of Alex that we'll factor in later into the story. They are supported by Daniel Seraph, 
heterosexual life partner of Sydney, resident doctor and drug dealer extraordinaire. He's a very caring guy that hides behind a superficial image. He's mainly occupied with trying to keep Sydney from imploding. Another character of note is Mr. Oldman. He is the media tycoon of the city who has a tight grip on the news outlets. His deep pockets will cover anything else. He is considered to be ruthless, but has a hard time pulling the trigger. Oldman thinks of himself as a father figure to Sydney, but these feelings are not mutual. As for the story, the story begins when Alex has to deliver a package to a bar named Rogues. Lured there by the promise of free drinks, she meets Sydney. The conversation is very one-sided with Alex doing all the talking, but her rant is interrupted when a heavily injured man stumbles in. A little later, after the man has been fixed up by Dan, he and Sydney blow off some steam when they get interrupted by a phone call. It turns out to be Oldman, whom Sydney rudely brushes off, whilst Dan tries to mediate without success. Meanwhile for Alex, life goes on, until about a week later, when she gets stabbed and robbed <laughs> of her bicycle and payload. In a moment of adrenaline, she shoots at the culprits, but they still get away. Pissed off, she stumbles into the bar, announces loudly that she may have been stabbed, and promptly goes unconscious. Dan fixes her up while Sydney riles up his patrons and start a witch hunt for the attackers. A little while later, Dan takes Alex home, and she decides to take the edge off with sex, alcohol, and gun maintenance. Concerned by her behavior, he decides to stay the night. Sydney feels it's time for a more hands-on approach and decides to leave the bar. Dan tries to stop him, but is forced to compromise on a deadline of 24 hours. Sydney ends up in Ruby's, owned by the notorious Frankie Lake, who quickly shuffles Sydney off into a back room. Sydney tricks Frankie into telling him a shipment of Skylight has hit the streets, which has Sydney terrified. Before Frank can say anything else, he gets called away. Sydney leaves through the back door, and that's when Nikki makes her move to kidnap him. When Alex gets to Rogues again, she finds it in turmoil. A disheveled and panicked Dan is very happy to see her. Alex feels compelled to help, and they go on a wild goose chase to find Sydney. Meanwhile, Sydney is being mildly tortured by Nikki, who's getting her revenge by preparing a ritual to make him her eternal slave. Over time, Sydney fails to resist more and more. Alex and Dan get a lucky break, which leads them to a house up in the northern part of the city. They find an abused and docile Sydney locked up in the basement. A very confident Nikki catches them in the act. After some back and forth taunting, a chaotic brawl ensues. Dan manages to get Sydney out while Alex is keeping Nikki busy. This fight ends with an explosion, leaving Alex mostly unharmed, but Nikki presumed dead. The day after, Alex and her co-workers go and look for the stolen bicycle and the package she was supposed to deliver. When they find it, one of her co-workers, Josh, betrays them. He takes Alex hostage in the back of a van, but has the decency to also bring the bike. While he's making his getaway, he tries to explain to Alex that he's not a bad guy and that he needs the drugs inside the package to help his sister. Alex thinks that's BS and plans to break free. A little while later, Sydney is in no condition to fight back when Oldman sends a limo to pick him up. They have an argument about who's gonna fix the issue with Nikki, even though she's presumed dead. Oldman orders Sydney to fix it, but before Sydney can retaliate, he gets a text from Alex. He leaves promptly to try and save her. He manages to find the van, which leads to a deadly confrontation between him and Josh. As Alex manages to break free, she sees Josh pull the trigger and kills Sydney. She gets away as fast as possible, and at home she turns to drugs to help her cope with the trauma. 
And then, at a morgue, the impossible happens. Sydney wakes up. Scared to all hell, he throws a fit, but Dan is present and manages to talk him down. He's very happy to see his friend alive, but when he learns of Alex, he immediately drives over and breaks down her door. He finds her with an overdose. He pulls out every trick in the book to get her back to consciousness. At this point in time, a relatively calm week happens, where Dan tries to keep Alex distracted, while Sydney is coming to terms with his new undead status. Sydney finally feels strong enough to return to Oldman to continue their conversation. He blames the mobster for everything that happened to him. Oldman admits that he played a part in any tragedies, but points out that Sydney's choices were his own and he has to clean up his own mess. Once again, Sydney is interrupted by his phone. Surprisingly enough, it's Josh on the other end who frantically tells him to get out of the bar immediately. Confused, Sydney rushes over to find a burning bar and a dying Dan. Alex attends a fancy party with her boss, where unbeknownst to her, Nikki is present, ready to take revenge. And the party really gets going when Sydney and Josh burst in looking for Alex. It's then that Nikki decides to go all out with her magic. We have no idea how this final confrontation will play out, so <laughs> any ideas are welcome. I'll tell you, I don't outline like that. <laughs> and this happened to me just last Ooh. week, so this is totally legit. I get all of this. Um, guys, well done. Excellent, excellent pitch. Um, before we move any further, what are you guys hoping to get out of the next you know, half hour or so of, of brainstorming goodness? Um, well, we really want to make uh, Nikki a very effective villain and uh, kind of learn how we can use her to her full potential. Okay. And uh, Because we have two main protagonists here, we were okay. really looking for the, the thing that ties it all together. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, to make it a really cohesive story. Gotcha. Connective tissue, that's the word. Connective words. tissue, excellent word. I use it all the time. Yes, uh, uh, and and I think that's a I think that's a good instinct because there's you got a lot of threads here. Uh, uh, there's going to need to be some weaving uh, uh, done to tie it all together. Cool, awesome. Um, I think we can help. In fact, I know we can. Uh, but before we can, we need to cover our ass. Uh, uh, Ms. Bilodo, would you be so kind? But of course, of course, my friend, <laughs> Thomas and Saskia. You're about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, insights, and inspirations. It's important that you realize that everything, and we mean everything, said from this point forward by myself, by Dave, or by Other Marie. My <laughs> That's it. I'll be Other Marie. Other Marie. <laughs> other, other Marie, then, okay? Uh, uh, might be complete and utter bullshit. This is your story, and you decide what to use and what to cast aside. Is that clear? Uh, crystal. Crystal clear. <laughs> awesome. As is covered, we're off the hook. We can roll into this bad boy. Um, and we always roll in with a quick once around the table just to get some first impressions and ask any questions of clarification. Uh, and we always lead off with our guest host. So other Marie, <laughs> Marie, Marie Brennan, start us off if you would. What were your first impressions of Saskia and Thomas's story pitch? And did you have any questions of clarification? Uh, well, they already answered one of the questions I had, which she said that you have two protagonists, because I was wondering, was the whole thing, it sounded to me like it was probably from multiple points of view that you've got both Sydney and Alex at the very least. So mm -hmm. it yeah. sounds like that one's already been answered. The, the first impressions, um, 
I'm very intrigued by the skylight thing in that I think I'll, I'll save this for a few minutes from now, but um, I have a lot of questions about skylight and the role that it plays in the story because uh, I like the that approach to the where are people getting magic from, and I think that's very intriguing. I'd like to see more of it. And the, what you said about how you can make Nikki work as a good villain, I think that's definitely a key thing that we're going to want to see you develop because it's really easy for a psychotic ex-girlfriend to be kind of a two-dimensional like I don't know she's just crazy and bad things happen so I'm really looking forward to talking through the ways that you can make sure that uh, you know she develops into a really compelling villain yes definitely okay. definitely uh, Marie Billado what about your first impressions and any questions you might have had I had a couple of just quick questions um, okay so for Sydney and Alex now they meet at the beginning of the story in the bar right and so how are you sealing their relationship so quickly? Because Alex, the next time that they see Alex, she's stumbling in, bloodied, and then they go after her assailants. Um, so I feel like there should be some strong connectivity from the get-go. How are you uh, envisioning that happen? Or do they know each other beforehand? Um, they do not know each other beforehand. Uh, it actually has to do with Alex's job as a bike messenger. Uh, the part of town where the bar is in uh, is um, uh, that's also where a lot of the blue collar criminals live. Okay. And, um, and and that is where she works mostly. When she gets stabbed, she actually uh, is very near the bar. It's like two, maybe two, three streets away from there. Okay. And her, she forms a good relationship with Dan and with Sydney individually, right? Right from the get go. Um, more so with Dan than with Sydney, but there is a, there is a relationship there, yeah. Awesome. Okay, that's cool. Um, and then the other the other quick question I had, and I have a feeling that's going to develop as we move forward into our brainstorming. Uh, Marie already touched on it as well. Um, but what do you see? as the main thrust of the story like what what am i as a reader starting the book at and then continuing to read to figure out by the end of the book what do you guys see that as um it's a tough one the thing is when we started writing this we figured a slice of life for okay semi bad people <laughs> Okay, okay. A little bit of good, a little bit of bad. <laughs> gray zones. Lots yeah. of shades of gray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, this also sort of plays in into the book, ser book series, which is this is supposed to be the first part of, is that it's sort of a slow descent into their own villainy. Okay, cool. <laughs> and so, for this first one, we really wanted to focus on Sydney's history to point out that that is... At least violent. Yeah. And uh, Alex as the newbie in this city. Like, she's lived there a long time, but she doesn't really know how the city really works. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. That That's perfect. You you have a lot of uh, great texture in the uh, outline, like a lot of that grittiness, that dark city type of feel. So, uh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to chatting some more about this. Thank you. That's, uh, that's cool. all. And my question's cool. here. Cool. Okay. Very cool. For myself, uh, I, I love I love the street level view of uh, in an urban fantasy environment. Uh, you really captured that slice of life quality. Um, and, and usually I use this as an insult and I won't uh, uh, in this case, but it's it's it has a, a very 
um, <laughs> uh, uh, Chekhovian uh, quality to it. Uh, and normally I don't find that appealing. That's not a thing that I enjoy. Chekhov plays, not my vibe. Uh, uh, no. But there's a, there's a definite quality of this sort of random life happens kind of vibe. And yeah. I, I think I think that's going to be, A, I think it's going to make for a lot of the charm of the story. I think it's going to be your, probably your biggest challenge too. Uh, because cohesive cohesifying sure that's a word cohering uh, <laughs> cohering they're much better thank you uh, cohering a, a random set of events into a, a story that that satisfies that provides the satisfaction factor I think is going to be your biggest challenge I'm with Marie Brennan on I skylight caught my attention from the get-go and I really kind of felt that there was not enough attention given to it uh, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I I would love to find ways that we can enhance and expand skylights role and presence in the story maybe maybe you know not necessarily weaving it densely into the weave but having its presence known in the world where Alex and Sydney live um, one question, Nikki, uh, got her magical powers from drug testing. Yes. How did that happen? Was she captured and tested or did she volunteer? How, was it a secret government agency that was testing that? What, how did that happen? Um, you're quite close with secret government agency. Uh-huh. Um, the way we want to play it now is that there's this agency that offers second chance programs. Nikki has her psychological damages and they promise a solution and they try to fix her okay. uh, with a reduced sentence, which is why she ends up on the streets. Okay. And, and then pump her full of skylight and give her magical powers. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And, and have they cut her loose or are they monitoring her? Monitoring. I kind of figured. Okay. <laughs> we, we can work with that, baby. We can work with that. Um, okay, and my last question is, what is it about this story that really excites you? When you when you sit down and you, your fingers are poised over the keyboard, what is it about this story particularly that makes you go, yes, I've got to tell this story? Well, I grew up as being really into, like, superheroes, and when I got to my teenage years, I really got into the gritty stuff like The Boys and stuff like that. And that really ex- inspires me. And this gives me that same kind of feeling, that feeling okay. that grittiness, that behind the scenes kind of thing. Gotcha. Cool. All right. And Thomas, what and about you? For me, it's that at this time, it's not about uh, superheroes. Maybe. No, exactly. They're not even street level heroes. Not quite villains. They're just the people that happened to get in this crazy situation and trouble comes to their doorstep and they needs to fight back or succumb to what the city has to offer. Yeah. And are you going to be gearing in, in future stories? Are you guiding them towards that superhero vibe or you're going to uh, have them dance at the edge and then fail miserably? We're going to have them dance at the edge of super villainy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Very cool. All right. That's all I've got. This is this is very cool. Marie Brennan, how, where do you want to start with this? Do you want to start with Nikki or do you want to start with Skyleaf? Skyleaf. Uh, I, okay. Let's see. We could do either one. Let's start with Skylight because some of what happened with Nikki is dependent on that. Right. Um, so, yeah, the, the thing that I immediately wonder when something like this comes up, I'm like, okay, there's a drug that gives people magic powers. So I'm like, for starters, what kind of magic powers do they get? Mm-hmm. And then... 
like, okay, the, it sounds like this drug is being developed by some kind of governmental agency. Um, you know, what is the purpose they intended it for? And also then how does it work, right? Which I think there's a tendency sometimes with, in particular, like critique of fantasy where people will say, okay, well, what are the rules of your magic system? And I, I think that can be overstated. If you look at actual like folklore and things in the world, that notion of rules is kind of laughable in many cases. Very squishy, but, very squishy. But in as much as there are <laughs> rules, I usually think of them as being, um, you know, symbolic rather than mechanical, right? Yeah. So I think about this skylight thing and I'm like, is it operating by causing some sort of genetic mutation that unlocks heretofore unknown powers? Or is it working because it's actually the distilled blood of fairies or something like that? Or because it is demonic in origin? Like, what's the, the flavor of this magic because the challenge that you have with Skylight is that it, if, if it doesn't get that development, then it is just a MacGuffin. It's just a, an excuse for why people have powers. And it's much more interesting if there's another dimension to it of exactly what is it doing to people and how is it doing that. I don't know if you guys have answers for that already. Oh, yes. Yeah, we, we've thought about <laughs> it. Right, so, so give yeah. us the Reader's Digest condensed version. What is Skylight distilled from? How does the magic work? Um, it actually ties into the island. Because the idea is that this island just kind of jumped into our universe. Ah, okay. And reality is broken on this island. Yeah. Okay. So that's why the drugs work. As for how they work, it's based on uh, accessing the mind, kind of like DMT. Yeah. Okay. But or, instead uh, of or the drug in uh, in Fringe that they use to give oh, right, right, yeah. superpowers. Yeah. yeah. Um, but instead of just showing you images and giving you visions, it actually draws the power out of you. In Nikki's case, the idea is that she's afraid of lightning because of childhood memories. And she gets these electromagnetic kind of abilities. Okay. So it's kind of unlocking something that's already within your own mind. Yes, yes. exactly. It is very based on the, on the personality of the user. Okay, I, I immediately wonder, and this is not a thing that probably needs to go into this first book, but when you said, okay, this island, it sounds like the island wasn't always there. It just like popped into existence one day. Yeah, okay. wow. basically. Um, so I'm like, all right, well, if you take Skylight and carry it off to Norway and feed it to somebody there, do they develop magic powers? If somebody who has magic powers from Skylight goes to Norway, do they still have magic powers? Like I said, not something that you probably need to address in the first book. Uh, you know, maybe like a passing line about it or something. But your whole story is focused on that island. You don't need to go elsewhere. Um, but I do immediately wonder then. I'm like, oh, so what happens if you move away from the island? The okay, answer so is that this is a global event, but the okay. city just focuses on the city. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't think you need to bring in the entire globe. It's just the kind of thing that you should have an awareness of yourself so that if it becomes relevant in any way, you've already got your answer prepared. Okay. So then yeah. you said it's a, a governmental agency. The The island has its own independent government? Uh, yeah, but it's um, it's officially a, demo a democratic republic, but... Okay. There are a lot of, well, not a lot. There are two specific rich people that have their fingers in most governmental pies. Okay, so <laughs> oligarchy, a very, very yes. small oligarchy. Yeah, basically. basically. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, so then I, I want to know, all right, if it's some, uh, you know, facet of either the democratically elected government or more likely one of these oligarchs who's developing it, um, what are they hoping to achieve and why are they testing it on random people like this? It's actually a third-party military contractor. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, military contractors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And their R&D division is hidden within the city. 
And okay. they're trying to make super weapons to be able to protect against whatever is out there. Yeah. Because yeah. they know reality is broken. Yeah, like if an island can come popping out of nowhere, who knows what else could do the same thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so they, they probably think of themselves as doing something that's very necessary and important. They're not like twirling their mustaches and going, wahaha, we're evil. They're preparing yeah, for no, they have their reasons. <laughs> no, they, they have yeah. very good reasons to do what they're doing. Okay. I would guess that they're they're testing on people like Nikki because I imagine not everybody comes out of the drug trials okay, and so yeah. they pick people who nobody's going to regret if they die or go missing. Uh, yeah, basically. Okay, so I, I don't know if anybody else had things they wanted to ask about Skylight. No. Go ahead, Marie. You got anything? Uh, yeah, I have one more question. Is this something that's widely known, recognized? Like, do people seek out the magic powers? Uh, in the beginning of the book, not so much. Because okay. you have to take it, uh, it, it, if you take it once, it has an effect on the mind and you start to hallucinate a little and it's very uh, psychotropic drug. But if you take it a lot, that's when the magic powers kick in. How long has it been out in the market? Oh dear, we had this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is it a year or, or less than a year? Is, is it enough time that someone who has used the drug a lot has started to manage... Is, is the manifestation of magical power starting to become a thing among users of Skylight? Yeah, this would be the start. I guess the product itself has been around for like 20 years. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. Um, but not on the streets, but within laboratories and stuff right. like that. How long has it been on the streets? Probably a year, maybe two. Okay, so people are not, just, not very long. People are just starting to manifest these uh, side effects, magical yeah. side effects. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, did did the uh, the contractors who are developing this did they deliberately release it onto the streets as kind of like a field trial, or has it slipped oh, yes. free and they're annoyed by it? Okay, so no, they, they don't a, mind. It's a field trial. Okay, so they don't mind letting sort of random people then develop these powers just to kind of give them a broader basis of saying, all right, here's what happens. Oh, no, yeah. we, we, we got to tie Oldman into this. Have him be a part of this this deal. Uh, uh, maybe he's the the, the contract, the, the contact person that this shitty government agent, the military agency went to, to see to the distribution of the drug in the city. Well, it's funny that you should say that because the package in the beginning that uh, Alex is robbed of is actually Skylight. And actually belongs to Oldman. Okay. 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 Well, but but tie him, but but making tying him more, lashing him more tightly to your larger nemesis or 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 root cause of the of this catalyzing event that is the spark for your story. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, that that ties him tighter to the arc because that's one of the things Oldman as an as a antagonist of sorts really he doesn't factor in much except for his background with sydney which remains shadowy and mysterious uh, uh if we tie him in more tightly then as as the mystery starts to unravel and oldman keeps coming up again and again and again then we have this this shadowy conspiracy vibe uh that can make everybody paranoid and, and uncertain that was that was just a thought that occurred to me as we were talking well he does control the news outlets Oh, okay. Well, there you go. And, and put him in charge of the <laughs> yeah. drugs as well. No, it's, a, it's a very good idea. Okay. I also, I find myself thinking about this notion that they've deliberately let it get out on the streets because it's a little bit peculiar, right? It, it's not just that, um, you know, they're, a lot of times drugs, the, the reason that people are selling them, right, is that they want to make money. But in this case, mm -hmm. it's being done as kind of like a field trial. But while I'm sure there are people who die as a result of taking Skylight, at the same time, they're creating an unknown 
size of cadre of people who have these powers, which could then turn around and be dangerous to them. That's a good point. That's yeah, so I, I find myself mm-hmm. wondering, like, what is the reason that they want it out on the streets? Like, that that seems like a recipe for kind of chaos and things maybe getting out of their control. Or uh, we could make it so that they didn't, that there's yeah, a exactly. leak. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think the easiest thing would be to say that it got free without them wanting it to, and that would then be a problem that they're running around trying to fix for totally different reasons than the good guys would be. Um, yeah. But I think if you can come up with a good answer for why is deliberately releasing it and, and getting it out there a good thing for them, that could potentially be very interesting. I haven't thought of anything yet that would explain why that's a beneficial course of action, but that doesn't mean there isn't one. Hmm. You know, it could be something where they're like, well, you could put in a bit of a ticking clock and say they think that something is coming. Right. And so they're like, okay, we're going to need cannon fodder. <laughs> <laughs> for, yeah. for whatever's coming. Yeah, basically. Therefore, let's yeah. just like get this widespread distribution and, and you know put together some people that we can then fling between us and the whatever's coming. You know that might be one reason. Yeah, I would say either have it be something that got free in a black market kind of way and not what they wanted to have happen, or think of a good reason why that's beneficial to them to put it out there. Because if it was just we need to try it on more subjects, they could just pull in more subjects under more controlled circumstances, and that would probably be better. Right, that's right. True. Marie Bilodeau, any any other thoughts on on Skylight and the and the, the route of conversation so far? Yeah, no, just another to riff off of it, what was just said is uh, either that or have them think that they have a good control mechanism as well and then find out later, if not necessarily in this book, in a future one, because you're talking a series that their control mechanism doesn't actually work. Yeah. So uh, that kind of, that twists over like Skylight has mutated into something they didn't foresee. Uh, or I, or again, the idea of it getting going rogue in a way, which kind of fits your whole theme is the drugs themselves have gone rogue, which yeah. fits the old uh, kind of vibe of of your book as well that it, it's uncontrolled and we're not sure what's happening with them anymore how they got out there or what version of it is there could be versions that are killing people to like kind of the good drugs and the bad drugs wait all the drugs are bad but you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah what i i like what you said about mutation because you know when we speak of drugs it's like maybe somebody develops a knockoff version or something that's cut with something that makes it bad but when you talk about it mutating then it's a living thing um which I'm, I'm predisposed to like this because in the Wilders books, I've actually got a drug that is actually some kind of like powdered retrovirus. Um, it actually causes genetic mutation. Um, so yeah, I mean, if, you, if you go that route where it's like they talk about it as a drug, but it's actually you're like injecting or sniffing or huffing or whatever, some organism, then that adds a little creepiness to it and yes seriously (laughs) if it's the vibe definitely and then it adds to the fact that they don't know much about that island or or what's going to happen or what's coming it adds to the fact they don't know anything about any of that ecosystem so to speak so yeah Yeah. and i like the idea that yes this you know shadowy organization that's doing this stuff they're they think they're in control of what they're doing but you get kind of the jurassic park thing of like no (laughs) no freaking clue yeah Nature finds a way. <laughs> well, let, me, let me just interject real quick. Saskia Thomas, you can hear the conversation that's being sparked by Skylight. Uh, yeah. uh, all three of us on this end are intrigued by this concept, and we could literally probably go for another hour just exploring all the nuances of Skylight. That alone, I think, indicates that this is something you want to have more of in your story. Uh, mm-hmm. Not necessarily you know, making it a story about Skylight, but having it be a profound 
profound uh, foundational aspect of the setting and uh, the catalyzing events therein. Um, but I'm going to kind of nip this line of conversation in the bud because time is ticking down and we haven't talked about Nikki yet. And I would really, really like to because, as we all know, the, the protagonist is often defined by the antagonist. And uh, as much as I love Alex and Sydney right now, I'm, I'm really kind of vague on, on Nikki at this point. Uh, and I'd like to see if we can get her in a, in a position where she's a more authentic person person uh rather than just the crazy ex-girlfriend yeah I, well, I have to admit i'm a little bit allergic to the crazy ex-girlfriend sort of concept <laughs> and so i'm very keen to talk about some ways to kind of flesh that out go ahead and, and lead us off if you would and i'm sure that will riff into countless discussions otherwise but please continue okay um well the the first thing that came to mind for me when you guys said that you want to make her like work as a good and compelling villain I think the point on which most of the psychotic ex-girlfriend scenarios I've seen in fiction fall down is I look at somebody like Nikki and think, why the hell was Sydney ever with her? Like, I don't <laughs> buy the original relationship for any reason other than really crappy dysfunctional ones that I don't care about as a reader that I'm not invested in, right? So, you know, a lot of them, it seems to be like, well, they had really hot sex. I'm like, that's nice. I wasn't having that sex, so I don't care. <laughs> so, amen. The, yeah, the more that you can make Nikki, like, think of her as who was she before everything got really bad for her? Like, what was the core that actually made her a person that you would care about and somebody that you would have sympathy for? You said that, you know, she's got like emotional problems and such, she's got psychological damage, but. I need to see more of her than just that damage. I need mm -hmm. to see what are the things that I would like about her if this other crap didn't get in the way and if she hadn't descended into psychotic villainy. Yeah, that hmm. makes sense. Okay. Do you have any thoughts along those lines or have, has Nikki not received a lot of backstory at this point? Oh no, there's a slew of backstory. Yeah, but it's, it's not very uh, definite. Okay. It's not definite at all. Okay. All right. Well, then, um, moving forward then, uh, uh, have you given thought to that that authenticity, that that reason why Sydney and Nikki were together? They were both completely in their darkest hour years ago. Found each other, could be each other's shoulder and support, and the criminal underworld got its hands on Sydney. Yeah. Okay. And Nikki wouldn't have any of that. Okay. And went over the rails. Okay. I like that because it's that he's the one who broke the relationship. Like he kind of went bad and crazy first rather than being, oh, she went off in the deep end and he stayed okay. Right. Um, yeah. And that's that, also that great, automatically. That's a great guilt factor for Sydney too because he probably yeah. is savvy enough to acknowledge that it was his betrayal that, that pushed Nikki away. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. And that runs counter to what we're sort of used to from that trope in fiction that it's not that she was really all that crazy when they were together. It's, and yeah, he will be mourning kind of the, oh, he remembers who she was and now he sees what she's become and is really horrified by it. That gives it a lot more, um, tension isn't the word that I want, but like more energy and more reason yeah. for me to care. Yeah. And and with that in mind, then I, I wonder, with, with Nikki just kind of showing up and being insane, uh, <laughs> I think there needs to be a moment you know, maybe maybe Nikki, you know, maybe Nikki's already gone around the bend and is plotting her revenge. But I think there needs to be a moment in there where that that quiet moment between Sydney and Nikki, where they look at each other and see the people they used to be. 
And Nikki's Nikki calls into question all the rage that she's feeling, and and Sydney feels that that guilt and responsibility for for what happened. I I don't know. I just I, I think there needs to be more support of what they were before we get into what they are. Yeah, I'm thinking um, you actually gave me two thoughts, one being that I will find her a more sympathetic villain if I look at her behavior and think, I absolutely see why you are so angry, even if I don't support what you're doing about it. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, that, that will give me sympathy for how she's feeling, even as I'm condemning what she does. Uh, and the second thing is... This can be overplayed, I think, and make it seem like, oh, this person's like, you know, schizophrenic or bipolar or whatever. Um, but if she kind of oscillates between being more controlled and more lucid and more the person that he used to remember, and mm-hmm. then the moments where she loses her grip on that and goes sliding back down into what the drug has done to her, then that will help us, again, see what took place before the story begins and go, okay, yeah, there was something lost there. Ms. Billy Doe, what are your thoughts? Uh, I agree with everything. You're both so brilliant. Um, but uh, <laughs> also, um, you know, I, I'd love to see Nikki be a character to where she's, her sole reason for being isn't just to get back into some kind of weird, twisted relationship with Sydney. Yeah. Um, I, I find that that's kind of what you mentioned. Uh, that's one of the things I'm allergic to with the evil, uh, crazy ex-girlfriend is uh, either there has to be a good reason where something like her mind got trapped in a moment in time or something because of the drugs or, or she thinks yeah. she can get something from Sydney that he'd promised her or, or something, but something outside of she's only motivated by having that sick, twisted relationship. Um to me, yeah. that doesn't really resonate. Maybe I'm not much of a romantic, but to me, that doesn't really re- resonate as a reader. It's not even just, I mean, I'm, I'm maybe not as much of a romantic either, but I don't even see that as a question of romance per se. It's that if everything that Nikki is doing is about like, oh, she wants to, you know, she's fixated on this relationship. She wants to get back mm-hmm. together with Sydney. Then she's being completely defined by him and in relationship exactly. with him. Right. And yeah. I want to see that she's a person outside of that relationship, that there are other things in her life that she wants. And he might be... The the means by which she can get what she wants mm-hmm. but if she's just fixated on him then it, it's the thing that people complain about with um like movies and books and such that fail the bechdel test where like the women don't ever talk to each other about anything <laughs> yes. other than the men right yeah yes. I want that nikki is more than just sydney's ex-girlfriend Right. Well, yeah, and, I, I, and when you look at their the way they broke up and the, the the origin of their story the the notion that she would want to enslave him doesn't necessarily jibe with the way that their relationship disintegrated. Ooh, uh, that go, gives me an idea, actually. Go ahead. Um, and, you know, going back to the disclaimer of we're just riffing ideas That's here. That's right, exactly. Say, but it would make me weirdly sympathetic to Nikki if, you know, okay, she wants to enslave him. She's looking at, okay, the last time I knew you, you descended into this life of crime. I want to help you. I, I can help you, you if I can control your life. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, he's already proved that he can't be trusted to make good decisions. And so she thinks she's helping him by doing this. Oh, right. that's fine. I, I, I think what's also really important about Nikki is that she's looking for a new kind of normal. And yeah. she tries really tries to control her situation. And Sydney is a part of that, but not necessarily the end goal there. Right. Yeah, well, she's basically saying, I can make a better life for us both. And we both clearly need it because we fucked up. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, and yeah. maybe, you know, maybe the, the 
the revelation that this second chance program that she got into, maybe she discovered uh, uh, that it was just drug testing on this new military thing. They don't really give a crap about her. And once again, she has been played. She has been duped. Uh, And that's she's done with that. That's over. So maybe maybe Nikki's plan is to take over the drug trade. And take control of the drugs, and the way to do that, who is who is her closest criminal contact? Sydney. Yeah, that's true. So Sydney yeah. is the way is is now her tool to get into Oldman and the drug trade, so that she can control it and then wreak her wreak her vengeance upon those who would try to make her a puppet. She might also be. Oh, you say just... something really interesting. <laughs> no, just ripping off further than that, you could even make her even more sympathetic in the way she might be trying to stop it so that it doesn't happen to other people. Yes. Yeah, it, it I kind of like that, that, actually. Yeah, it oh, depends on how really you good. take it. But... Yeah, because I, I could see it both as, you know, mm-hmm. calling it the, the second chance program. Um, you know, an element of brainwashing, right, could be in there of they are giving you this second chance. And so she could be acting for what she thinks are altruistic motives of she wants to make sure that other people get a second chance. <laughs> um, it could yeah. go that way. Or it yeah. could be a thing where she realizes that this whole second chance was a false bill of sale, that they they cheated her. And she's trying to, like, prevent other people from falling into that trap. But yeah, anytime that you can get somebody acting from what seem like good motives, except you step back and go, what the hell are you I like that a lot. I think that I think that gives Nikki, you know, she's that villain that you can go, I can kind of get behind what you're saying. I get where you're coming from. I just don't like the way you're doing it. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Then let's go ahead and move into that final phase. And this final stage is just one more trip around the table. And and these are final thoughts. They can be 30,000 foot views. They can be ideas you didn't get a chance to put out during the brainstorm or whatever. Uh, but the uh, but the goal here is to fill Saskia and Thomas's pockets with as much literary gold as possible and, and send them off so they can write this bad boy and get it out in the world. Uh, uh, other, other Marie... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Marie Brennan, start us off, man. What, I just gotta love this. What, what are your final thoughts uh, for Saskia and Thomas? Uh, I think my final thing would be uh, going back to this being kind of a slice of life story. Um, that is not usually the kind of thing that I get into. Uh, and the reason is, it's not even so much that I don't get into them. It's that I'll be reading along and I'm like, okay, this is interesting. And I put the book down to go like eat dinner or something. And I don't feel compelled to pick it back up again because it feels like one slice might be as good as any other slice, right? Mm-hmm. So the thing that I would recommend you think about is at the beginning where it's like, and by chance, you know, these things happen and set things in motion, figure out what is the hook that you're going to kind of sink into your reader, like in a little fish hook that you're going to be able to tug them forward through the story what's the the mystery or the unresolved moment or whatever that's going to make them say okay not only did i enjoy reading that but i really need to know what happens next i think that's yeah that's that's exactly what what will compel a reader to keep turning those pages i agree i agree marie billado your final thoughts um, very similar to uh, to Marie Brennan's. Um, that definitely those hooks, because I, I think you've got a nice texture for the story. Like that, the texture and the characters alone are compelling to read it. Make enough promises throughout your uh, your slices of life, enough mysteries, see enough mysteries that on top of that 
giant hook that, uh, or that little hook that will carry them through the whole length of the story that Marie suggested. Also have little ones. It can be even things between characters. Uh, will they stay together? Will they get together? Like all, you've already got those things seated. Mm-hmm. Make those mysteries apparent in them and then answer them as you go through the slice of life because on top of that one big hood dragging through you'll have other several little ones that will keep them reading and they won't be able to put the book down in between episodes in between slices and it will make for a wonderful full piece of pie or cake <laughs> as you, whatever your dessert preference may be Absolutely. just not death <laughs> just not death yes exactly yeah. pie or yeah. cake but not cake or death <laughs> yeah, exactly. one or the other <laughs> Well, and yes, ex- absolutely. I'm actually going to kind of riff on that same vibe as well. Although I will say, um, uh, you know, you, you weren't sure how the ending was going to play out. Uh, yeah. uh, and it occurs to me that now that we've kind of sketched out a little more of Nikki's motivation, I think it's kind of clear how that ending needs to play out. Now that we understand a little better what Nikki's motivations are in here above and beyond uh, uh, making Sydney her slave, uh, uh, she's, you know, that's, that's the big play out where, you know, revelations can occur uh, Mm -hmm. and, and the hook for the next book gets into play. Um, But uh, uh, I'm going to put forth uh, the notion again, talking about hooks. I'm going to, I'm going to actually suggest that you start your book later. I think you start, you're starting your story too soon. Okay. Uh, I think this story needs to start with Alex getting stabbed and staggering into the rogues. I think okay. that's yeah. a that's a sharp moment. That's a bright moment. That's an intense moment. Somebody's been robbed. Instantly, that raises a question: What got stolen and why? Yeah, uh, I and agree. I, that, that is indeed a very ah. good suggestion. You know, and I and I think Agreed. I think those questions. You know, we're talking about hooks, and and hooks really are questions. Questions I care about. Uh, yeah. So, um, and I understand the. Actually, no, I don't. I don't understand why Alex and Sydney aren't friends. Just in the context of the story, um, I'm going to suggest that while they may not be bondmates and sworn allies that will die for each other, that if Sydney's been working, Sydney, if Alex has been working the messenger route in this blue collar crime district, that the mm-hmm. bars of those blue collar crime districts tend to be the hub of activity. Activity. Sydney may not have his fingers in it, but it tends to be where shit happens, where deals mm-hmm. get made, arguments start or end in bad ways. Uh, you know, Rogues probably has a bad reputation for that, at least among the law enforcement people. Having Alex and Sydney <laughs> be um, fam- non- non-belligerent acquaintances, uh, mm-hmm. fixtures in each other's lives the same way that lamp is a fixture in your living room. You don't think about it, but it's always there. When it's gone, you kind of freak out. I will actually give a, a counter proposal to that, which is that if, you know, she may know who he is, but if they haven't met, then, you know, having them meet when she comes in and she's been stabbed and it's this crisis moment, having characters first encounter each other under those kinds of emotionally charged circumstances can work very well narratively as a way to kickstart their interactions. That's a good point. Um, yeah. So yeah, you you might not go the route of her already knowing him. It could be that she's heard of him and he knows, like he's probably seen her on the street and such, but they've never spoken. And mm-hmm. then in that moment where she's injured, the way that he interacts with her is going to give you your foundation for whatever relationship you decide you want to, like how you want to approach the relationship sure. between. And yeah. and that actually sparked another thought that, you know, maybe Sydney sees a little Nikki in Alex. Uh, not not in the sense that, you know, I, I love you and you're my ex-girlfriend, but that, you know, Sydney, <laughs> Sydney has that white knight syndrome of I will not let anyone else 
uh, uh, under my under my roof or in my world suffer. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. and you know have him tr- he's working this guilt over his his betrayal ultimately of Nikki uh, and has been for for years now and this yeah. can be a manifestation of that which could raise the question why does he care so much again raising questions about Dan about Sydney about Alex questions we care about mm-hmm. will keep us turning pages and wanting us to know more and as those questions unfold then have them be a revelation of wait but if that's true then what about this and away we go so okay Great. there we go holy crap this this Oof. was fabulous all right <laughs> Saskia Thomas you know the rules here uh you write this thing you put it in the world whether whether it be a deal with a big publisher person or a pdf on your website doesn't matter M- write it put it in the world have it be infecting other people's minds with your cool awesome vision of an alternate world uh and when you do you let us know we'll bring you back and we'll knight you. We will make you Knights of the Round Table podcast. That's the deal. You down with that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the deal. Make it happen. It'll be probably our first double knighting ceremony, so that'll be kind of badass, too. So oh, nice. Make that happen. Nikki Thomas, this has been fabulous. And like I say, it's 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 never easy. I know there were some jitters up front, but uh, as I'm sure you've observed, talking about your story is really fucking cool. Uh, <laughs> you yeah. guys did it beautifully. So thank you both so much. Uh, thank you. You bet. Absolutely. It, 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 it was an honor. Aw, uh, see, and that, that never gets old. Keep saying that. That's fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Marie Brennan, thank you, ma'am. Uh, uh, you brought you brought the A game. You brought the literary <laughs> gold uh, uh, with your insights, your world building, your character insights, everything. This you you contributed uh, uh, exactly what we hoped you would to this story, brainstorm, and to this whole experience. We're very grateful, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yes, definitely. And and Marie Prime. Hey, that I like. You like that? Marie Prime and other Marie. Marie Prime, uh, it's always a delight to to uh, splash and froth in the story uh, soup with you, Uh, ma'am. I enjoyed it immensely, as I always do. Thank you. Thank you. This was a lot of fun, as always. Yep, yep. Good, man. Playing in story, story... Pools is 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 a blast, is a good time. And as long as we're doling out the gratitude, friends, thank you for tuning in. As always, you complete the circuit for us. You make this work. Uh, uh, we don't share this stuff uh, just willy-nilly. We want you guys to catch fire just like we did. If you're loving it, if you're feeling the love, you can always uh, express that in numerous ways. Uh, but mostly, let people know about the roundtable. Clearly, not enough people know about this awesomeness. Uh, uh, and you can make it your personal mission to make sure that so Someone new finds out about the fabulosity that we're perpetuating here at the Roundtable Podcast. And God, every time, 10 degrees hotter in this room, I'm wearing shorts and a tank top, and I'm still sweating. I'm spent. It's exhausting. Uh, But here's the deal. Every in 14 days, like a phoenix from the ashes, I and Marie and, and and the whole podcast will resurrect once again, and we will bring back another fabulous guest host to pour wisdom in our ears, another courageous or multitude of courageous guest writers uh, to pitch a story idea and get the froth going. More roundtable goodness to be had. But damn, 14 days—that's a long freaking time. Marie Billadel, help us out. What can our listeners do between now and seven days from now to? just make the time trot on little legs of speed you know i'm gonna say you're all creative people 
every day for half an hour, do something creative. Just half an hour, put it in your agendas right now, pick that time and for seven days, do something creative. We will come back and we will inspire you to do more creative things. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We will be the fuel for your creative V8 Hemi engine. Uh, absolutely. That's awesome. Very cool. And I will tell you, friends, as I always do, you find what you're looking for. So look for that top shelf blue label goodness. Look for the Christmas present hidden at the back of the Christmas tree. Look for the awesomeness in the world. You will find it. We will see you in 14 days, two weeks. It's so long, but we will be back. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike License. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David Labroyer, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter, at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.